Welcome to our 37th episode of Two Tankers and a Cat. We're your host, I'm Charlie. And this is Russell. Well, Russell, we've got a pretty good episode. You know, I hate to say it. People are going to say, wait a minute, this isn't a tank. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's a half track. Uh, We're going to be talking about the SDKFZ 251. Uh, There was other German half tracks, but this is the one usually people connect with on the when they think of uh, the German World War II Panzer Grenadier forces and stuff like that. But before we get started on that, do you want to talk about uh, this little letter that we got from New Zealand from our good friend? Yeah, I do. Uh, we received a card, a pretty neat card at that, uh, from Tony, our friend in New Zealand. He wanted to give us a little donation to go towards our show, and he sent us some cash straight from... New Zealand. And he wrote in there, he says, I feel like an old grandmother sending, you know. <laughs> Christmas money in the card. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, oh, what if he What if he didn't tell his wife he sent money? Oh, no. She's going to be listening. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. you know what? She doesn't think we're talking about him anyway. So. I, I know. That's true. <laughs> that is true. But anyway, Tony, thanks for being a great friend out there. Really appreciate the, the support. And like I said, we're going to be talking about the uh, Panzer Grenadier, um, but we'll also cover the, oh gosh, you know, I kill all these German names, the Werfenmen 40, which was a SDKFZ 251. Uh, it was one of their variants. It combined uh, a vehicle. How do I say this? They put a, like kind of like Katusha rockets on it. And they would use that like they were the Soviets had the Katusha rocket thing where it would shoot out all the, you know, I guess rocket propelled explosives. And I was sitting there watching on YouTube and I was like, oh, I've got to do an episode on this. (laughs) Okay, Russ, tell us a little bit about this half track tank. Yeah, the SDKFZ 251 or Sondergraf Bajrug 251. Half-Track was a World War II German armored fighting vehicle. It was designed by the Hanomag Company based on its earlier unarmored SDKFZ-11 vehicle. The SDKFZ-251 was designed to transport the Panzer Grenadier, or the German mechanized infantry, into battle. The SDKFZ-251s were the most widely produced German half-tracks of the war, with at least 15,252 vehicles and variants produced by seven manufacturers. Some sources state that the SDKFZ-251 was commonly referred to as simply Hanemags by both German and Allied soldiers after the manufacturer of the vehicle. This has been questioned and may have been only a post-war label. German officers referred to them as SPW, or Schutzer Panzerwagen, or Armored Infantry Vehicle, and their daily orders and memoirs. So, basically, this is kind of one of those deals where they were calling, uh, like the Shermans, they were calling Bronson Burners. That's not true. That It kind of happened after the, you know, the veterans were talking about it. And they're like, oh, it lit, 
every time like a Bronson, we found out they didn't call it that during the war after that. It's kind of nicknamed they got it. Now, I wanted to touch on this. Uh, the Panzer Grenadier Mechanized Infantry Division. Uh, mechanized infantry is protected by armored carriers. If they are in trucks or on, you know, horse wagons and stuff like that, that is a motorized infantry. So if whatever they're riding in has a little bit of armor or has a gun on it or something, that's basically mechanized. And if it's just a truck, it's just a motorized. Motorized. Oh, interesting. All right, Russell, go ahead. There were four main model modifications, uh, the off-function A through D, which form the basis for at least 22 variants. Now, I know there's 22 variants that they're wrote about, but I, I know at least 26 or 27. The initial idea was for a vehicle that could be used to transport a single squad of 10 Panzer Grenadiers to the battlefield, protected from enemy small arms fire, and with some protection from artillery fire. In addition, the standard mounting of at least one MG-34 or MG-42 machine gun allowed the vehicle to provide suppressive fire for the rifle squad, both while they dismounted and in combat. Now, we're going to be able to put up some pictures on our Facebook and uh, on our YouTube of what these things look like. But if you get a chance, you just need to look at some of these variants. Go ahead, Russ. I'm sorry. Yeah, the armor plates were designed to provide protection against standard rifle or machine gun bullets, like the 7.92 by 55 millimeter Mauser bullet. The front-facing plates were 14.5 millimeters thick. The sides were steeply angled, V-shaped 8 millimeter thick plates. And this level of protection provided protection against normal non-tungsten rifle AP rounds which could pierce about 8 millimeters of vertical armor. So they've got a half-track that holds 10 guys that are fully armored, ready to go. Uh, they've got some artillery protection. It's a quick-moving force, and, and, and they're using the machine guns to suppress until they get in position, and if they ran into the thick of it, the guys could bail out over the sides or in the back and you know get into the fight. The pretty sound you know, half-track. Positive aspects of the open-top included greater situational awareness and faster egress by the infantry, as well as the ability to throw grenades and fire over the top of the fighting compartment as necessary while remaining under good horizontal cover. The downside, as with all armored personnel carriers of the era, was a major vulnerability to all types of plunging fire. This included indirect fire from mortars and field artillery, as well as small arms fire from higher elevated positions, which included lobbed hand grenades, Molotov cocktails, and strafing by enemy aircraft. You know, that's the downside. But anytime you have an open-top vehicle like that, sure, that's a yeah. risk you have going on. But as they were cutting through the fields of uh, the Soviet Union, like Kursk and stuff like that, not, not a lot of high points there. Yeah, So very true. Well, like I said, I know at least 25, 26, 27 of these different field-modified variants. Various field-modified variants also existed during World War II. This was a kit for installing an armored map table in place uh, on the Ford uh, MG-34 mount in use in 1941. One interesting variant was made at the closing stages of the war when the German forces removed 
the armored bodies of the damaged SDKFZ 251s. You know, let's just call them 251s after this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, a little easier. And installed them on uh, light truck chassis, uh, resulting in a wheeled variant of the 251. At least two of these were made in this way, judging by the number their uh, number of plates. So they had their set variants. But then they were field modifying a lot of these, you know, putting, you know, map tables and everything else into them. Okay. Russell. And that probably happened a lot too. I mean, field, well, field modifications. You look at all these tanks that we've done in the past, mm-hmm. all, almost all of them had variants. Yeah. But this has taken what they had and trying to do what they needed in the field. Sure. So, I mean, that's why they call them field modifications. Yeah. Okay, Russell, I'm sorry. Go ahead. The first two models, the Ossif A and B, were produced in small numbers from 1939. Ossif A and B models can be identified by the structure of the nose armor, which comprised two trapezoidal armor panels, the lower of which had an engine cooling vent. The B model, which began production in 1940, eliminated the fighting compartment side vision slits. The C model, which started production in mid-1942, featured a simplified hexagonal-shaped forward armored plate for the engine. Models A through C had rear doors that bulged out. The C model had a large production run, but was quite complex to build, involving many angled plates. From early 1943, the D model was developed with the purpose of having the number of angled body plates, simplifying the design and thus speeding up the production. D models can be easily recognized by their single-piece sloping rear with flat doors. Now, one of the weird things is, uh, again, you know how much you know World War II uh, videos that I watch, and the guy was showing how to drive one. They'd actually restored one, and it's a drive a tank in texas i think it's like mm, driveatank.com yeah, yeah. We, we've got to get go down oh, there and see I that no we need but to get back down there they they restored one of these uh 251s and he's like okay here's the deal you know it's this is your gas this is your brake this is your clutch you know you it's got your normal steering wheel yeah. to turn the tires but they had two levers on the side and if you wanted to go left you would turn and then pull that pull the lever. Uh, lever like you would on a bulldozer oh, or, wow. or, or a tank, and it would turn, and that would act as like a power steering thing. Uh, he was saying in there that if you tried to turn it without pulling on the lever to you know go left yeah. or right, it, you had you got quite a workout. You had to sit there and just wow. turn and turn. Oh. But if you sit there and just turned it real easy and pulling on the lever, yeah. it, it was like power steering. Wow, pretty neat mechanism. Uh, German engineering, brother. It is. The standard personnel carrier version was equipped with a 7.92 millimeter MG-34 or MG-42 machine gun mounted at the front of the open compartment above and behind the driver. A second machine gun could be mounted at the rear on an anti-aircraft mount. So when you look at pictures of these things, they've got the, you know, uh, machine gun up front and then they've got like an anti-aircraft mount on the very, very back. Imagine these guys, you know, tending the vehicle. One at, one at the front gun, one at the anti-aircraft gun, and one of those Russian dive bombers are coming in. They're they're setting their machine gun in that from yeah, the top. Sure. So, you know, n- not a lot of protection against, yeah. but at least you're shooting at, at something. At least they've got some. Yeah, they've got some protection. Yeah, you know what? Even if I was with a rifle, yeah. <laughs> I'd be shooting. Still be shooting. Uh, yeah. I'm like, man, I got to get this thing out of here before I get strafed. Hoping for the lucky shot. No doubt. Variants were produced for specialized purposes, including with anti-aircraft guns, 
light howitzers, anti-tank guns, and mortars, or even large ungilded artillery rockets, as well as a version with an infrared searchlight used to spot potential targets for associated Panther tanks equipped with infrared detectors. Now, here's the funny thing that I found out about these, uh, and this is kind of... People are going, oh, no, no, they didn't have infrared. That's what I was getting ready to say. That's something they, new to me in World War II. They did. They wow. had the, these infrared. So what they were doing is they were using these 251s to support these Panthers at night, but it had this huge infrared spotlight, and it would go across, and when it would see a tank, it would light it up, and then the Panthers equipped with uh, infrared sights, they would get on target and shoot these things at wow, night. Wow, that's incredible. So a lot of these uh, Soviets and even uh, yeah, the Western forces were like, uh, wait a minute, why, why are we getting killed at night? Yeah. We can't see what's going on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if anybody's got any more information about infrared being used in World War II. Definitely send us yeah. a link. Yes. We might have to call, give a... Uh, Ed Webster yeah. or uh, uh, Craig Moore, one yep. of those guys, yep. will call and say, "Hey, yeah. uh, what do you know about this World War II infrared?" Yeah, but that—that's why I love the history of this tank. Oh yeah, I had no clue that there was infrared in World War II. Yeah, and, and you talk to people, and they're, they're like, "You're you're crazy," and I'm like, "I researched this a little bit. They even had infrared, this big infrared scope with a light on it." For their uh, machine guns. Wow. The, there'd be guys out there with sights and everything and had yeah. this thing, and they'd wait for an infrared to light something up and machine gun it. Incredible. So, well, a little bit more than we had, I yeah. guess. Definitely yeah. more than the Soviets had. True. A strong design feature of the 251 was the large track area with the characteristic slack track design with no return rollers for the upper run of track. The 251 also had the Schachtelefwerk system of overlapping and interleaved main road wheels common to virtually all German half-tracks of the period. This lowered the ground pressure and provided better traction at the cost of much greater complexity and maintenance. The 251 also had tank steering, whereby the normal steering wheel moved the front wheels, but after more turning of the steering wheel, the tracks are braked to cause turning like on a tank. Yeah. That's what you were talking about a while ago, yeah. Well, yeah, and that just goes to prove it's got tracks, so we can talk about sure. it, two tankers. Sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah. However, the interleaved and overlapping main road wheels shared a major problem with the Tiger One and Panther tanks that also used such road wheel configurations in muddy or winter weather conditions, such as those during a mud season or the winter conditions. Accumulated mud and snow could freeze solid between the road wheels immobilizing the vehicle. I understand uh, if you haven't, you don't understand the overlapping wheels. Our best advice is go look at a picture of a Tiger Tank's yeah, wheels. Sure. They'd have your main track wheels and then they'd have overlapping tank wheels. Yeah. And, and it's kind of a weird, we got to see it down in Fort Benning because yeah, yes. our friend Rob Thomas, or uh, Rob Kogan, I'm sorry, uh, showed it to us and we were like, well, if this was packed full of snow and ice and mud, uh, you know, how would you get it out? And I think it was Rob was saying, no, they'd actually have to pull out a blowtorch because yeah. it was froze so solid. Frozen solid, yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Could you imagine sitting there with a blowtorch just trying to get ice and mud out of it? Wow. What a sloppy job. Yeah, yeah. The early production models of this vehicle were issued to the 1st Panzer Division in 1939. 
And some of the variants were like uh, the 251-21, they called the drilling, uh, or the MG-151. This was an anti-aircraft ground variant equipped with a triple mount drilling in uh, German means triple. I I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, MG-151 autocannons. The triple mount was belt-fed. The inner gun received 400 rounds, the outer 250. The mount itself was a derived uh, from a naval type, bolted on the floor just after the transmission housing. The 251-1 rocket launcher, or the walking Stuka, was equipped with six side-mounted frames for launching 280mm or 320 millimeter rockets. That 320 mil, or millimeter rocket, what equipped with six of these things on the side? Yeah, side mount. So they're frames, driving out, yeah. and you know, I, I said Katusha rockets. It's yeah. actually the Stuka. So they're firing these things, you know, whoosh, 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 and exploding all over. Incredible that, sight. That's a pretty good idea. Yeah, it is. Did they have any flame variants? You know, we always talk about flamethrowers and flame tanks. Did they have a, a flame tank variant of this? Yeah, the 251-16. It was actually a flamethrower variant. Uh, the next version was the 251-17, or the Ossoff C. Scutchen Panzerwagen. Uh, this anti-aircraft vehicle was armed with the Flak 3820 mm or .79-inch autocannon on a pedestal mount. And it was actually protected by a large curved shield and the whole accommodated folding panels to allow for more traverse of the gun. So they've got basically two anti-aircraft one, the drilling, which has got three, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. anti-aircraft guns. Then they've got this one that's what got an anti-aircraft, you know, 20 millimeter cannon on it. That's, you know, yeah. that's a great idea. Yeah, it is. But one of my favorites that I saw the picture of was the 251-2, and it had an 81-millimeter mortar carrier. Holy cow. And the carrier uh, carried 66 rounds for this, you know, mortar. A base plate was also stored so that the mortar could be offloaded and used. Let's say they had to go get more ammo or something like that. They could unload this, put it in a fixed position, start firing rounds out of it and then they could go back and do what they had to and then come back incredible but that's so they could actually take it off of the the 251 yeah yeah and use it outside of that wow but could it would take 10 guys to take that 81 millimeter mortar off yeah i I know the 251 9 they called the stumble the stumble yeah yeah, and it was a a standard self-propelled gun uh variant also called uh, the Canonan Wagon, uh, was equipped with a short-barreled 75-millimeter or 2.95-inch howitzer. She used the same mounting as the Stug 3. It, it was nicknamed the Stummel, uh, which is, you know, translated from German to the Stump, <laughs> <laughs> and committed, uh, uh, committed in great numbers on the Eastern Front. First ordered in March of 1942 uh, specifications, they delivered two... Prototypes in June uh, and tested in Russia. A first batch of 150 of these vehicles was delivered during the following months based on the Ossoff C chassis. By late uh, 1944, a major modification included a a revised modular higher gun mount with a coaxial machine gun uh, 42 for closed defense. Here they put this artillery, basically SBG 75, same gun that's on the Stug 3. And they're and they're 
using it on a half track. Yeah. They're just pretty much using anything they can mount to this thing, man. It's incredible. Very versatile vehicle. One thing I, I'm finding about the World War II is it seemed like the Germans were always trying to play catch up. Yeah, true. Like they were moving faster than the stuff that they needed in yeah, the field. Yeah. So they're like, holy smokes, we we need some of these SPGs out here. Put them on a half track. Uh, we need some of these mortars out here. Uh, we'll put it on a half track. We, we need anti-aircraft guns. So I'll put it on a half track. Yeah. Yeah. The next variant we'll talk about is the... 251 slash 20. It was had a long range infrared illuminated version and operating with the Panzer V Panthers during night attacks on the Western Front in 1944 to 1945. It actually consisted of a 60 centimeter telescopic sight designated the 1221 and a viewing machine which was designated the 1251 and around 60 UHUs were built to assist Sperber formation of six Panthers each. Some were also deployed in Hungary in 1945. In 1944, 1945, they they came out with these long range, long range infrared versions. Just incredible. And, I had no idea. And, and they're sitting there using these Panther, yeah, you know, to do this. Yeah. And they even deployed them in Hungary in 1945. That's pretty cool stuff. That, now that's probably some stuff I'll probably go back and do some research on too, just to and we, see how wide, widely used it was. We're only touching on a few variants. Yeah, there's at least twenty five, and we're just picking out the cool ones I that know, we thought. Yeah, I know they had a couple of anti tank ones. Uh, tell me about those. Yeah, the two fifty one slash twenty two variant was one of the best anti tank support vehicles, and it was fitted with a high velocity Pack forty. L-46 or L-48, and these were heavily used as the operations turned into defensive actions. The range of the gun allowed the vehicle to be relatively safe from well-camouflaged prearranged positions. However, the chassis was never designed to cope with the extra weight nor the blast shock and recoil, which triggered many mechanical breakdowns and excessive structural fatigue. Nevertheless, in December 1944, Hitler gave this version top priority. Uh, The mount comprised of two H-shaped beams welded in the floor on the middle of the rear compartment. The shield was modified with trimmed angles and the platform is made of flat triangular plates holding in place the original gun cradle. The driver sat on the left, aiming with the standard Pack 40 optics. Traverse was 18 and 19 degrees and elevation ranged from negative 3 to plus 22 degrees. 22 rounds of HE and AP Shells were stored. Uh, Usually the crews carried extra rounds in loose containers, stored wherever possible. Production figures are elusive, but perhaps 1,200 vehicles using the Ossif D bodies. Hitler, in December 44, uh, is told, hey, we, we, we don't have the tanks to slow these boys down. And they're like, okay, we've got these Pack 40 guns. Let's go ahead and put... Let's, let's put them on the half track. Man, they really worked this half track. I know. And, and like I said, you know, they'd fire yeah. the rounds and it would, you know, pop the brakes oh, and break man. the tracks yeah. and, and do all sorts of structural damage. Yeah, half track wasn't designed for that much force. But he's like, oh, okay, we're going to need at least 1,200 of these. So instead of, you know, just simply taking 10 guys to the field, now they're using it as anti-tank. You know, tank yeah. destroyer. Just an amazing stuff. Yes. Um, what else did they have? Yeah, the 251 slash 23 variant. It was a, the main reconnaissance variant. It was fitted with a turret 
mounting similar to the one carried on the 234-1 armored car, and it actually housed a QF 20mm, or 0.79 inch auto cannon. So let me get this straight. Now they put a turret on it. So they turned this poor half-track that was made. I'm telling you, we're going to have some interesting photos of this. Uh, We are. We are. We'll put on Facebook. Um, And a lot of people can just go to Tank Encyclopedia, and they have artist renditions of these that are pretty cool. Sweet. But now... Everybody says, well, you're, you're not supposed to be talking about half-tracks. You're supposed to be tankers. Well, it's got a turret. It's, it's got, got a turret. <laughs> it's got armor. It's got tracks. It, what it, more do you want? And it's shooting at enemy yeah. tanks. Uh, okay. Very, uh, very versatile vehicle. And, and one of the cool ones I found, getting closer to the end of the war, they were running out of fuel. Now, this is amazing, folks. I I was blown away with this. They were running out of gas, you know, like most historians will tell you. So they had this 251, and I'm going to kill this name, (laughs) Panzerfaufschwagen Wood-Fueled Drive Training Vehicle. So they were getting these, these 251s, and they were hooking up wood gas stations or a wood gas generator uh, on the rear of the 251 half tracks and they were using them as driving training vehicles so they could they literally didn't have the gas to train these people how to drive these things and how how to use them properly so they put a big gas put a wood gasifier on this thing to yeah to propel it yeah. Incredible. So, so uh, you think about this, people. They're know. chopping wood and, and, and putting it in the back it's of this thing. propelled by burning wood. Yeah. Cool stuff. I, I know we've talked about the amazing strides that they made in uh, infrared and stuff like that, but now they're using wood Man. to get their vehicles down yeah, the road. Yeah. What, what an incredible. I know. Oh, well, Russ, we're running a little low on gas. Let me chop up some wood here and pull over the side. Get out the axis, folks. Okay, Russ. Uh, you know, we've had a really good time talking about these variants. But tell me my favorite part, the stats. Just the standard 251 stats. Yeah, the 251 was in service between 1939 and 1945. It was used by Nazi Germany, the Kingdom of Romania, Kingdom of Hungary, the Italian Social Republic, the Independent State of Croatia, the Czechoslovak Army, and the Yugoslav People's Army. Now, that's a lot of people that oh, use it this. Oh, it is. It is. It was designed by the Hanomag Company, and it was manufactured by Hanomag, Adlerwerk, Horch, Skoda, and Borgwerk. Oh, so even Skoda got into Skoda it. Skoda got into it, too. So how much did one of these things cost back in the day? Uh, the unit cost was about 22560 Reichmark. Uh, you know what? I can afford that. I know, yeah. I can afford that. If they'd go ahead and make me a new one, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll even take the wood one. Heck yeah, the wood <laughs> the wood burner one, yeah. They built about 15,252 of the 251s. Wow. That's quite a bit for it, the Germans. Yeah, I know. The 251s weighed about 7.81 tons, or 8.61 short tons. The length of the vehicle was 5.80 meters, or 19 feet long. They were 2.10 meters wide, or 6 foot 10 inches wide. And they stood about 1.75 meters high, or 5 feet 9 inches high. So what kind of crew? 
It had a crew of two, which I was imagine what the driver and the driver machine, gunner. machine gunner, and it would hold up to ten passengers. So basically, they got you know the driver with one of the guys up there manning the machine gun, yeah, and, and the rear machine gun for any aircraft. They're yeah. they're like. Oh, okay. That guy sees it coming down. Mm-hmm. He runs from the front of the thing to the back <laughs> and starts shooting and telling everybody, get out, get out, get out, get out. It had uh, six to 14.5 millimeter armor, or that comes out to about 0.24 inches to 0.57 inches of armor. And we've already talked about the guns, the yeah. MG34, the MG42, one on the front, one on, on the, the back. back. Yes. So uh, yeah. talk about the engine. The engine, it had one Maybach HL42 engine, had six-cylinder petrol engine, put out about 99 horsepower. All right, so 99 horsepower. Yeah. You know what, for that time, oh yeah, yeah that period of yeah. the time, yeah, it's not, okay. So they had to find probably a common engine since they put out, since they manufactured that many of these things, they had to. Well, let's face it, Chrysler and Ford yeah. ain't going to be making engines no. for this thing. <laughs> no, and it had a power weight. Ratio to about 12.8 horsepower per ton. So it, it could also pull, because uh, I know I had a trailer hitch in the back, so it could pull extra ammo in. Oh, Actually, sweet, yeah. the 88s, yeah. uh, any tank guns that, you know, or other artillery, they could tow. Wow, this yeah. is pretty versatile. I know, it is. Okay, go ahead with the s- suspension. Yeah, the suspension, it had an overlapping torsion bar or track leaf spring wheels. Uh, operational range of about 300 kilometers or 186 miles. 186 miles. Incredible. Really. That, that's think actually about it. pretty yeah, good. Yeah. And it had a speed of about 52.5 kilometers per hour or 32 and a half miles per hour. Yeah. You know what? That's not a bad no, speed. No, really not. You, you know, you got it loaded down with yeah. 10 guys, machine guns. They're all loaded down and they're probably carrying or, you know, pulling something along. You know, at 32 miles an hour, yeah, okay. Incredible vehicle, when you really think about it. I mean, it a lot of different uses for it. The term Panzer Grenadier had been introduced in 1942 and was applied equally to the infantry component of the Panzer Divisions as well as the new divisions known as the Panzer Grenadier uh, Divisions. Most of the Her uh, or Hare's uh, Panzer Grenadine Divisions involved via upgrades from ordinary infantry divisions first to motorized, and we talked about motorized that they were in trucks and mechanized and armored vehicles divisions, and then to the Panzer Grenadier divisions, retraining their numerical designations within the series of for like infantry divisions throughout the process. Uh, this included like the third and the tenth and the fourteenth and fifteenth. Uh, you know, all these different divisions, others such as the uh, Gruber Dutchland Division, were built up over the course of the war by repeatedly augmenting the size of an elite regiment or battalion. The Waffen SS also created several Panzer Grenadier divisions by the same methods or by creating new divisions from scratch later in the war. Because you remember, we were talking about, you know, F- uh, Fegerlein and. Uh, all the rest of them in the defense of uh, uh, Berlin and how they were trying to scrape people together and stuff like that to make these Panzer Grenadier divisions. So a number of these Panzer Grenadier divisions in both the Her and uh, 
Waffen-SS were upgraded to Panzer Divisions as the war progressed. They're putting turrets on these things, and they're like, okay, we're going to go ahead and count this as a Panzer Division. And they're like, no, this is a mechanized, you know, division. Yeah. You know, Panzer Grins. No, no, now it's a Panzer. Mm. You know what? Yeah. You can paint a duck black, but it's still a duck, <laughs> you know? You can paint it green, it's still yeah, a duck, yeah. you know? True. Now, however you paint it, it's still a duck. The Panzer Grenadier Divisions were organized as combined arms formations, usually with six battalions of truck-mounted infantry organized into either two or three regiments, a battalion of tanks, an ordinary division's complement of artillery, reconnaissance units, combat engineers, anti-tank and anti-aircraft artillery, and so forth. All these support elements would also be mechanized in a Panzer Grenadier Division, though most of the artillery, anti-tank, and anti-aircraft elements were equipped with weapons towed by trucks rather than the relatively rare armored self-propelled models. They're bringing in these anti-aircraft elements and and these anti-tank elements, even artillery elements, but instead of using what what they mechanized, like we said, using armored or their own armored carriers, they're using trucks. So, again, they're trying to paint it into something that it's not. In practice, the Panzer Grenadier divisions were often equipped with heavy assault guns rather than tanks. One armored regiment with three battalions of 14 assault guns, each of them due to a chronic shortage of tanks throughout the German armed forces. A few elite units, on the other hand, might have the tanks plus a battalion of heavy assault guns for their anti-tank element and armored carriers for some of their infantry battalions as well. What we're trying to, I guess what we're trying to point out is they're piecing this stuff together to make it look good on paper. Sure. But it's not helping out in the field. No, no. If you promise the soldiers out there, you're going to have 14 of these King Tigers and you show up with these half tracks with With a turret on it. Maybe if you're lucky, a welded on turret with a a mortar (laughs) or a mortar. You're like, uh, where's our, Uh, where's our tank? Hey, it's got a turret. Uh, It's got an anti-tank gun on it. So on paper, a Panzer Grenadier division had one tank battalion less than a Panzer division, but two more infantry battalions. And thus was almost as strong as a Panzer division, especially on the defensive. Of 226 Panzer Grenadier battalions in the whole German army, uh, Luftwaffe, you know, Waffen SS, in September uh, 1943, only 26 were equipped with armored half tracks, or just over 11%. The rest were just trucks. You're saying it's a mechanized, yeah. but it's, they were shortchanging their their soldiers and army. Yeah, yeah, and they're lying. You know, on they, paper. Yeah, and, and when you're facing SS, you know, generals and stuff like that, they're like, "Do we have the battalion? Yeah, yep, yep. Does it have tanks in it? Well, yeah, 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 yeah. We it's got a turret. It's got a t- <sighs> wow. You know, they're like, wait a minute. You know, you're you're lying to yourselves. Yeah. And if you're start, if you're lying to your selves just to make make you look good on paper it, it's kind of like those guys that go out and get the black belt through uh, uh mail order yeah yeah they're like yeah I, I took an online test and got my black belt in karate <laughs> i'm a ninja <laughs> now I'm you're like, gonna have somebody show up on your doorstep and kick your ass because you're making fun of them uh, you know what <laughs> <laughs> If you've got a online uh, karate black belt, oh, you, everybody here, everybody, everybody out there is listening. You, you feel free. Yes, I'll even give you his address. <laughs> Thanks. 
That's my that's my buddy, buddy. That's my best friend, people. <laughs> you know, we're having a little too much fun uh, this episode. Uh, well, tell us about the missions and concepts of uh, the German uh, Pan- Panzer Grenadiers. In the German Army, Panzer Grenadier Act as mechanized infantry and escort for tanks and other armored fighting vehicles. According to the German Central Army Regulation, HDV 100-100, state of 2000, the Panzer Grenadier Truppe and their cooperation with other armored troops is characterized as following. The armored military forces consist of the Panzer Truppe and the Panzer Grenadier Truppe, and due to the mobility and protection offered by their armored fighting vehicles, the Panzer Grenadier Truppe is especially suited for swift changes between mounted and dismounted combat to maintain the momentum of armored troops. The direct and close cooperation of the Panzer Truppe and the Panzer Grenadier Truppe is, next to cooperation with the combat support, mandatory to succeed. Their versatility and reactivity enables them to gain and maintain the initiative and bring about the decision. A Panzer Grenadier battalion is characterized by the following aspects. The fighting of the battalion is characterized by the combination of fire and movement, attacking in conjunction with main battle tanks, swift changes between mounted and dismounted combat, close cooperation between mounted and dismounted forces, the particularly mobile combat. You know what? I hate to put in, but again, that was their mission statement. And what it boils down to, we're going to have these heavy tanks. We're going to be supporting them. When the heavy tanks run into something tough or, you know, they run into, you know, tank traps and stuff like that, they're supposed to go around. These mechanized infantry divisions are in support of this. But if you take those tanks away and they're using these, like we said, these 251s with guns on them as your main battle tanks, you're good. You're lying to yourself. I know. Well, what a great episode. It uh, was. Russ, I had a lot of fun. Yeah. And now I'm going to have a bunch of, you know, wannabe ninjas at my front door. I'm like, like I said, I'll give you his address. Yeah. Just remember. Just let me know when you're going to show up so I can video record it. To yeah. Yeah. Send right. to our friends out there. Yeah. You know what? That's all I need. <laughs> bunch of, you know. 40-year-old fat kids, you know. I might up. actually put you on pay-per-view someday. I'll knock them out. I will. <laughs> if, if, you got, if you're a paper tiger, you know what? I'm old. I, I got scars. And I was a cop for 25 years. You know what? You know what you call an old fat cop? Oh, a, yeah. By the way. If, a survivor. If there's anybody out there that ever runs across Charlie online, ask him someday about punching a buffalo in the face. <laughs> Oh, oh, see, Russ is giving my my secrets away. See, we were up in Utah, or no, Montana, wasn't it? Yeah. And I punched him up. Well, you know what? Just ask me about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, just ask him. He'll tell you all about it. Uh, because you're not allowed to punch <laughs> Buffalo. Let me, let me rephrase that. At no point did I ever uh, break the I law. Wouldn't, I wouldn't let him out of the car in Yellowstone. So. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we did not break the law by punching a buffalo in the face. Oh, the things uh, we've seen and done. Oh, man. Hey, let's thank our Patreon users. Uh, yes. Who do we have out? I know we got a couple of new people. Yeah, we've got a new f- uh, patron. Uh, his name is Alejandro Martinez. Oh, I killed his name, and you uh, just said it perfectly. I'm glad you did that. Uh, one. I had a little Spanish in school, so well, you can tell I don't have never had any German or or anything else in school, but a little bit of Spanish, not a lot of good Spanish tank names, but anyway, 
Uh, the only Spanish I get is the local Taco Bell. Oh. Uh, you know what? I, I, Yo I, Quiero Taco Bell or whatever yeah, it is. I, I, I was talking about ta- uh, Taco Bell, and one of our Australian viewers uh, sent me a message and said, what's a Taco Bell? And I'm like, oh, my God, you guys. Very, very fake Hispanic food. Very, very <laughs> fake Hispanic food. Uh, very fast, fast foods. Um, but at no point are we insulting no, Taco Bell because no, we no, eat there quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, it, it's wonderful. You should try it. And if you don't know, and if there's not one in your uh, country, Just make sure you're close to the toilet. <laughs> again, two tankers and the cat are not responsible for any thing or any uh, defamation that occurs to a corporate. We apologize. Oh, we're too PC. Uh, um, oh, Andy Crow, I want yeah, to thank him and your Ben. Yeah. And my special girlfriend, Christy McCarty. She's still throwing our Patreon money Heck to yeah. us. Yeah. Thank you, Christy. Uh, Kevin Shin, who uh, messaged me, he's in China right now. Oh, cool. And I'm like, the coronavirus, man. And he's like, ah. uh, I, I've got to go. It's my family. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, now there's a hero. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we got Mark Drake. And then who else? Odious Thero and and your big buddy Rick Schmidt still supporting us. <laughs> he calls me a scrub puppet. Oh, he watches me when I play World of Tanks, folks. Uh. If you haven't watched, I'll I'll post it sometime and you can come watch me. <laughs> it, it, I'm a mess. Yeah. I'm a mess. Charlie's a mess in any yeah, in any you, way you describe you, him. But you can ask me about punching buffaloes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which, again, we never did, and we didn't, never violated any laws. They'll be uh, knocking on, the feds will be knocking uh, on your no, door. That's federal crime, too. Punching a buffalo. Yeah, don't punch a buffalo. <laughs> Even though you might be the baddest guy, <laughs> do not punch a buffalo. Well, what a great episode. I hope everybody had a good time. Uh, we really did, and we really thank you guys for you know supporting us and hanging out with us. Very much so. So this is Charlie. And this is Russell. As always, happy tanking, and have a great week. <laughs>